welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is June 12, 2014, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is an SGEM classic, Crash 2. And with a classic paper, we have to have a classy guest skeptic. Yes, we brought back Dr. Anand Swaminathan, Swami as he's better known. And he's an assistant program director at NYU Bellevue Hospital in the Department of Emergency Medicine. Welcome back to the SGEM, Swami. Good to be back, Ken. It, it, it seems like it's been a while since we've been on together, so I'm happy to be back on. It's always too long when I haven't been talking to the Swami. That's right. I, I, I was definitely going through a little bit of withdrawal myself, Ken. Now, doing a classic paper has been a huge, huge hit on the SGEM, so thank you very much because it was your suggestion. And it is a pleasure to welcome back an EM Mythbuster and, of course, a strong supporter of the FOMED movement. Yeah, you know, the, the, the classics have been great. So uh, last time we discussed the NINS trial, we started this off with the OPALS trial. Uh, and, and I think uh, it's been going real well. You know, the NINS article, really the basis of everything we do in stroke care today, despite the significant flaws of that article. Uh, we also discovered how it's really been a stepping stone for a number of EM physicians, including myself, to delve into the evidence-based medicine and really dissect the evidence for ourselves. So here we go again. The last two classic articles were my suggestion, but this one, Ken, this one's your suggestion, the CRASH-2 trial. And I, I picked this paper for five, my favorite number of reasons. And I'm just going to run through those five reasons. Number one, it is an instant classic that everyone providing trauma care should know about, despite it only being published four years ago. Number two, it does not involve any fancy schmancy new expensive drug. It's cheap. I like that. Number three, it also affects an important patient-oriented outcome like, um, I don't know, survival. Uh, number four, it's easy to give. I mean, you know, a loading dose of one gram infused over 10 minutes, followed by an IV infusion of one gram over eight hours. I mean, I can figure that out. And number five, maybe my favorite, it's something that I can give in a small community or rural hospital setting. So, Swami, can you get this SGEM episode started with a case scenario? Absolutely. So, Ken, you're working in a busy urban trauma center when EMS slams through the doors with a 22-year-old man who is involved in a major motor vehicle accident. The patient has significant abdominal and pelvic trauma, and he's hypotensive and tachycardic. And you're a little tachycardic yourself. So you go ahead, you mobilize your resources, and within minutes, the patient is intubated, his pelvis is placed in a binder, and blood is being transfused through a peripheral intravenous line. Your trauma colleagues are waiting to take the patient to the operating room for an X-lap based on your positive FAST exam as well. Before they leave, one of your bright residents asks if you should go ahead and start transexamic acid on the patient. Thanks for setting that up with a great case, because the question then of this SGEM episode is... Does transamic acid reduce mortality in patients who have sustained major trauma? And we know from a background standpoint that injuries are a major cause of death worldwide. And of course, I love saying millions with my pinky next to my mouth. Millions of people die every year from traffic injuries. In fact, they are the ninth leading cause of death around the world. Additionally, another 1.5 million people die every year from interpersonal violence. Hemorrhage accounts for about one-third of all trauma deaths, and as such, it should be our goal 
as emergentologists to find treatments to decrease death from hemorrhage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, our bodies have a finely tuned system. It allows us, it allows blood to flow freely and not clot too easily, but also allowing the body to form clots when it's needed. And this balance is upset in trauma by the loss of blood and factors, acidosis, hypothermia, and the inflammatory cascade. Hyperfibrinolysis often occurs, making hemostasis extremely challenging. Well, TXA is a synthetic derivative of lysine that inhibits fibrinolysis, and thus it's stabilizing clots that are formed. TXA has been widely used in elective surgery cases and has shown a decreased need for blood transfusions and reduction in mortality. It makes sense, then, to apply TXA to the trauma patients we see if we can get similar effects. So, can you give us the CRASH-2 article then, Swami? Absolutely. Effects of transextemic acid on death, vascular occlusive events, and blood transfusion in trauma patients with significant hemorrhage. CRASH-2, a randomized placebo-controlled trial in The Lancet back in 2010. The author's conclusion from the CRASH-2 trial were, quote, TXA safely reduces the risk of death in bleeding trauma patients in this study. On the basis of these results, transamic acid should be considered for use in bleeding trauma patients. Let's go through the PICO. You know the drill, Swami. What's the population they had? Adult trauma patients within eight hours of injury with, with or at risk of significant bleeding. Basically 274 hospitals in 40 different countries. And they had a significant hemorrhage, which was defined as systolic blood pressure less than 90 millimeters of mercury or a heart rate greater than 110 beats per minute or both. Wow. 274 hospitals, 40 countries, and I think they had over 20,000 patients. I mean, this is a big population. Yeah, amazing these researchers could get such a large study done. And what was the intervention? Pretty simple here. Like you said, loading dose of one gram of transexamic acid infused over 10 minutes, followed by an infusion of a gram over the next eight hours. And that was given to 10,060 patients. And then the control was a placebo. It was 0.9% saline. And that was in the other 10,000. What were their exactly. outcomes? So the, the primary outcome they were looking for was for death in hospital within four weeks of injury. So again, a nice hard patient-centered outcome and their secondary outcomes were receipt receipt of a blood product transfusion number of units of blood products transfused surgical intervention occurrence of thromboembolic episodes specifically stroke myocardial infarction pulmonary embolism or clinically evident dvt and then who did they exclude from the crash 2 trial so the excluded group were patients for whom the responsible doctor considered that there was a clear indication for transexamic acid and they were not randomly assigned. Similarly, patients for whom there was considered to be a clear contraindication to transexamic acid treatment were not randomly assigned. Let's go through the best evidence in emergency medicine or BEAM quality checklists. And there is 11 questions for randomized control trials. So number one, Swami, were these ED patients? Yes, they were. Were they randomized? Yes, a, a computer random number generator was used to allocate blocks. And was the randomization process concealed? It was. And did they analyze the groups in which they were randomized? Yes, they were. Wow, these questions are all coming up yeses. Were the patients recruited consecutively? Yes, with the exception of the exclusions we just mentioned. 
Were patients in both groups similar with respect to their prognostic factors? They were, and you can actually see this in table one of the publication. So why is this so important? Well, you know, you got to start at the same place. So the patients who are entering into the trial need to look similar. So you want the groups to be similar at the start so that you know that your intervention is what changed their outcome. So question number seven, were the participants unaware of their group allocation? Yeah, the uh, placebo was administered just like the transexamic acid, so the patients did not know what they were getting. And were groups treated equally except for the intervention? They were. And how were they for follow-up? So the follow-up wasn't complete, but it was pretty good. A total of 80 patients, 80 Ken, out of 20,000 were lost to follow-up. That's pretty phenomenal. Unbelievable, because we're looking for 80% of patients to have gotten follow-up. In other words, 20% were lost to follow-up, and they only lost 80 patients. Really well done. Number 10, were all patient important outcomes considered? Yeah, you know, the primary outcome is the most important patient-centered outcome there is death. I agree. And then number 11, was the treatment effect large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? It was. So then let's go through the key results to find out why they were large and precise enough to be significant. What were the main results from CRASH-2? So all-cause mortality was reduced from 16% in the placebo group to 14.5% in the transexamic acid group. That's a relative risk of 0.91 with 95% confidence intervals of 0.85 to 0.97. So this was an absolute risk reduction of 1.5%, which was statistically significant. And if we calculate an NNT from this, we get about 68. So an NNT of 68 to prevent one death. How about the secondary outcomes? So there was no significant difference between any of the secondary outcomes. The, uh, the ones that they were looking at, receipt of a blood product transfusion, no difference. Number of units of blood transfused, no difference. Surgical intervention, no difference. And no difference in the occurrence of thromboembolic episodes. And again, that included stroke, MI, PE, or clinically evident DVT. And I think that's a really important one because we're giving a prothrombotic here, right? And so we're tipping a balance and we've got people that are hemorrhaging and we're trying to make sure that they don't hemorrhage to death. But of course, the teeter-totter can always tip towards a thrombotic episode. So I think that's a really important outcome there. Yeah, we really have to look closely at upsetting that fine balance. Absolutely. So transamic acid significantly benefited the subset of systolic blood pressure patients as well? That's right. So if they had a systolic blood pressure under 75, they actually benefited a little more, a relative risk of 0.87. And again, the confidence intervals were 0.76 to 0.99. And this was a subgroup analysis. That's right. So Swami, let's get into some critical appraisal. Uh, This was a very pragmatic, real-world study, which included trauma patients from, again, 247 hospitals in 40 countries. Now, we do not know the breakdown of which patients were seen in various hospital settings, which may make it difficult to establish if these results can be applied to our patients, depending on your practice settings. However, with such a large number, it's unlikely that the randomization process would help ensure generalizability. Yeah, it's refreshing to see a well-conducted large clinical trial that looks at an inexpensive drug and measures a meaningful outcome rather than some manufactured combined endpoint that gives a positive result for a new expensive and let's be honest too expensive for our patients drug. 
Yeah, the trials of the, you know, the mega expensive like Factor 7A did not work in these sick patients and had many concerning adverse effects. Although the mechanisms of actions of transamic acid and bleeding trauma patients remains a little bit unexplained, this large trial offers promise for an affordable therapeutic alternative to reduce post-traumatic bleeding and death. But Swami, let's look at the bottom line. What was it? So the bottom line is that the use of transoxemic acid in trauma patients with significant bleeding reduces mortality by 1.5% without increasing thromboembolic events. Transoxemic acid is a safe and effective treatment in patients with hemorrhagic shock from trauma to reduce mortality. It's an inexpensive therapy, and it should be included in the care of these critically injured patients. So how are you going to take this data, this information, and apply it clinically then? You know, if it hasn't changed what you do, it should. Transoxemic acid is an inexpensive drug, and it's found in most hospitals. So most hospitals that have operating rooms have this drug there. It may just not be in your emergency department, but it's been used for a number of years in the operative setting, and so we can get this where we work. And again, this study did not find an increased rate of clinically significant clotting. So TXA, or transamic acid, should be administered to patients with severe trauma. Additionally, CRASH-2 opened the doors for the use of TXA in other bleeding. Yeah, it's absolutely right. So there's a recent article looking at the efficacy of transoxemic acid for epistaxis, which, you know, we've talked about this before, but epistaxis is a, is a tough disease sometimes. There's a study going on right now on postpartum hemorrhage and using transoxemic acid in that indication. And, and I've used it for intraoral bleeding on patients on agents like clopidogrel and Coumadin and in patients with massive GI bleeding. So the indications for this drug really continue to expand. Yeah, if you want to listen to a podcast on how TXA can be used for epistaxis, we covered that in the episode called Sunday Bloody Sunday, and it's got to be one of the most popular and downloaded podcasts in the SGEM series. Swami, what do you tell patients when they come in then with trauma? Well, you know, most of these patients who are uh, a bit shocky probably don't have their, their wits about them, but, you know, if they were able to, I'd tell them, you have a serious trauma and you've had significant bleeding. We're going to give you a drug that's going to help to control the bleeding, and it's going to improve your chances for survival. So can you give us a case resolution to bookend this podcast? Yeah, so based on your knowledge of the CRASH-2 study, you decide to begin treatment with transoxemic acid. You start the patient on a gram of transoxemic acid over 10 minutes, and you hand over the infusion to the trauma docs to infuse over the next eight hours. The patient goes up to the OR for an X-lap. He's found to have a grade 5 splenic laceration and a grade 3 liver lack. The patient also has an angio of the pelvis and has embolization to, to some bleeding veins in the pelvis. His postoperative course is pretty rocky, but he's discharged to rehabilitation three weeks later. Well, Swami, we got through another SGEM Classic critical review of a paper. Now, if there's anybody out there listening and ha who has a suggestion for another groundbreaking, practice-changing, historic emergency medicine paper that you think we should cover then drop me an email at the sgem at gmail.com with classic in the subject line, and we'll look at doing a critical review on it. So when it comes to the Keener contest this week, we don't have a winner yet because this podcast is being recorded in advance before the Jeremy Faust podcast has even been uploaded. Now we're looking from that podcast on what deaf, dumb, and blind kid played in the rock opera called Tommy by The Who. However, we do have a Keener contest question. 
And that question is coming from you, Swami. Yeah, so transaxamic acid was, was discovered in the 1950s by what couple of researchers? If you think you know the answer to the Swami's question, then send me an email, again, thesgem at gmail.com, and use Keener in the subject line. It's the first person with the correct answer who gets that cool skeptical prize. And Swami, can you confirm that prize does exist? It does absolutely exist. So you're going to want to get in and, uh, and get that answer in as quickly as you can. So thanks again for being, uh, being on the program. I, I really love it when you come on with these classic papers. You're excellent at covering them. But I've got some exciting news that you may not know about, Swami, because I haven't uploaded this last week's podcast. Can I share it with you? I'd love to hear it. Okay, so here we go. This is just between me and you. We have two new exciting BEAM conferences coming up. One of them is in, in Quebec City, September 29th and 30th. Have you ever been to Quebec City? I have not. Oh my goodness, you've got to come and learn some of the best evidence that's been critically appraised by the BEAM Dream Team. And it's in a North American city, you know what, with a European feel. But if you want to actually go to a European city, we are doing a Eurobeam in Prague. Yes, Prague. So we're going to go there December 4th and 5th. So if you're interested in attending one of these BEAM conferences, sign up now, save the date. I'll have a link in the show notes. Pretty amazing stuff. You know, uh, the only place in Canada I've ever been to, Ken, is uh, Niagara Falls. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say. So Quebec sounds like a, a, a sweet relief from there. It's not too far from uh, New York State. It sounds perfect to me. Well, that's all for the announcement, Swami. Um, would you give me the honor of doing the SGEM tagline? Absolutely. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next week.